Hey, hey, it's Andy Giannis, and you're listening to another episode of Pod Slamajama presented by Clerk City Control Room. As you can see, I'm go- joined by a special um, co-host, I guess, for this episode, Chris Gardner of the Houston Rombar Review. Chris, how are you doing, sir? Doing great, Andy. Thanks for having me on, man. On this episode, we'll be discussing a lot of breakdowns from Big 12 Football Media Day. The new incoming commissioner, Brett Yermark, have a lot of good comments on the future of the Big 12, as well as we'll talk more about Jarvis Walker, the incoming freshman for the Houston men's basketball team. Once again, you're listening to Pod Simon Jamma, presented by Clark City Control. After the penalty, look at the timing has and look at the throw and catch. Tandell touchdown Cougars. Drexler, oh, what a pass to Anders. McCain followed. Josh Andrews inside Roberts. He throws it down for the Houston lead. Well, six steals in the first half. There's Graham with the steal. Picked up by Cam Jones. The offensive class so tough, and that's third game. Two possessions. Sasser tries and he hits. Tune has the receiver open. Touchdown, Herslow. They call him five slamma jamma. Well, Chris, you are on. Well, I guess you're our first guest to be able to hear the uh, new intro we have queued up there. Uh, not to to go away from too much, but uh, any thoughts on the intro? It's impressive, man. Impressive. Yeah, I like it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I put it together. Um, and then we actually debuted in our last episode. We took a, a bye week last week. So um, only the second episode where we launched it. And I hadn't listened to it for a while, so I enjoyed it. But um, let's get right into it. Like I said, at the top of the open, obviously, the big news that we're recording this July 13th, Big 12 Football Media Day uh, took place earlier on Wednesday. They were recording this. Like I mentioned, Brett Yormark gave his, I guess, his official introduction to the Big 12 world mm-hmm. uh, in front of all the different reporters that, that cover the Big 12, both you know beat writers nationally. He gave a lot of good quotes where we were looking through a lot of the stuff that was said. Um, and Chris, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the, the Big 12 media day was actually uh, shown live on TV on ESPN. You. Uh, you. ESPN you, yep. Which, um, in and of itself, is impressive. Uh, not that I don't want to get too much into it in terms of what other conferences do, uh, especially a specific one that, that the University of Houston is currently in. But uh, without further ado, I did wanted to share uh, one soundbite from Brett Yormark, and it's him speaking on potential realignment and options that the Big 12 is looking for. There is no doubt the Big 12 is open for business. We will leave no stone unturned to drive value for the conference. Just as I pledge to the board, we will be bold and humble, aggressive and thoughtful, and innovative and creative, all in an effort to position the conference in a way that not only grows the Big 12 brand and business, but makes us a bit more contemporary. Although there will be challenges ahead, Bob has left me an incredible foundation Once again, that was Brett Yormark with uh, the new commissioner of the Big 12 that will officially start in that role um, in August. August 1st. August 1st, but he's kind of unofficially already been uh, kind of thrown into fire a little bit. He had to talk about the ongoing conversations. Um, Obviously, the big news that, that he had to address was just 
what happened just a couple of weeks ago with UCLA and USC um, announcing that they were going to be joining the Big Ten. And that really threw a giant wrench in the college world landscape, especially when you talk about the Pac-12. And one of the stuff that was brought up, and, and I, I believe he was asked point blank, blank was uh, some of the potential schools from the Pac-12, the Arizonas, uh, the Utah, the Arizona states of the world. Um, they asked him specifically if they were looking for potential having them join the conference. And he didn't necessarily say yes or no, but he did give uh, the quote, they're open for business, they're looking at all options, and he said that he's been getting a lot of phone calls the last couple of days. Um, Chris, what were your main takeaways from what you heard uh, the new commissioner say, and then was there anything that stood out? Well, um, this was day one of Big 12 football, football Media Day. They got another one on July 14th, so two days, which is another difference between the Big 12 and the other conference we won't name that Houston <laughs> is currently part of. But it, yes, part of it was on ESPNU as, as well as on ESPN Plus on the Big 12 now on ESPN Plus. So they covered the linear side as well as the online side as well. So, but uh, Commissioner Yormark, open for business, kind of added to what Bob Bowlesby, the current slash soon to be former commissioner, has done in his 10 years as commissioner of the Big 12. It's good to hear from Yormark being open-minded he can't you know he can't specifically discuss schools that he's received phone calls from you know specifically arizona state arizona any of the pac-12 schools because in legal reasons but uh, we can re read between the lines that he he said he's received calls from numerous schools and you can assume that some of those calls were from pac-12 members one of the a couple comments we're going to talk about it during the show of course, is he said that he wants the Big 12, they're the being aggressive, they will be aggressive, but the, any moves they make regarding media rights will be additive rather than diluted. So that means basically it's a nice fancy word for saying we want to add teams, add schools, program to the Big 12 if they add value to the conference. And of course, that value flatly is monetary. And then, you know, addition to brand name, recognition, all those things as well. So if it makes sense financially for the Big 12, then those schools will be added. If it doesn't, then they won't. You know, he said a few times today that sometimes the best deal to be made is no deal. So kind of he covered all the bases with his with his answers. I think we still believe that there will be some additions made to the, the conference, the question of who that's going to be. And one other thing that I'm really glad he mentioned is he wants the conference to become cooler, hipper, and younger. Now, some of my colleagues, you know, <laughs> I'm old and, you know, you're much younger, almost another generation than me. Do, you, do youngsters even say cool, hip <laughs> anymore in the vernacular? Uh, well, we really do not. Um, exactly. I the last time anyone <laughs> said hip. Um, I used to hear the cool every once in a while, but uh, I, I think the, the sentiment's in the right place. I think uh, uh, Dan and I talked about it in previous episodes where, uh, actually we talked about it when the hire was first announced as he was going to be named the new commissioner. And obviously, when you look when you look at his background, it's a lot of uh, non-traditional. When you think of the traditional commissioner um, stepping into the role, obviously he does have experience in the professional 
sports world with the NBA and the Brooklyn Nets. And then obviously, of course, the um, NASCAR as well. But the big one um, is Rock Nation with Jay-Z. And he was in charge of uh, really being a part of a lot of those conversations from the entertainment aspect, from a lot of, a lot of the, the media side of, of you know, that world, which is um, I think it was that whenever I first saw that, it was really good. Um, I really like to hire for that reason because really what the Big 12 needed in this position, um, they're kind of in a spot where they need to have a leader that thinks outside of the box, especially when what a lot of you know people have said where the writing is on the wall. When you think of the Big 10, you think of the SEC, it's kind of leaning in the direction of it's going to be those two super conferences and everyone else is uh, going to be on their own. And they're going to try to figure out a, a nice little niche for themselves. I think the Big 12 and the best chance of survival is to have someone that is not afraid to think outside the box now. Oh, we'll segue a little bit. We're not going to focus on any specific teams that, that obviously the rumors all over the place with uh, teams that are interested, colleges that are interested in joining the Big 12 that might want to go elsewhere, teams that would end up getting put from the Big 12. The rumors are endless, especially right now. Um, one thing I did want to make note of that, kind of similar along the lines that you kind of mentioned, and that was um, not necessarily thinking outside the box, but one one of the points that Jormark made during his uh, availability today is that he thinks it's a priority for the Big 12 to sell its media rights to a traditional network rather than a streaming platform, such as obviously, of course, we have uh, Apple, we have, you know, Hulu, Amazon, you can name them, countless. But I think that's interesting. We, we obviously not in Potsdam, but Jam of our other show, Unshameless Plug. And folks, Talking Sports, we talked about in the past how uh, really it, it's those traditional linear networks, that's where all the eyeballs, eyeballs are. That's where a lot of the money is going to be, at least for the foreseeable future now. Obviously, down the line, um, it could be really different, but... When you think of currently right now, the Big 12 has deals with Fox and ESPN. They're set to expire, um, similar to when OU and Texas leave in 2025. And that's going to be the real priority for the Big 12, trying to be able to renegotiate those TV uh, rights. And uh, how much are they going to end up losing if if at on terms of um, that revenue pie is for all the remaining schools that stay in the Big 12? That's going to be priority, of course. So anything that sticks out with him saying that they want a, a linear network deal, you sense that that should be the right answer, correct? Oh, definitely. Still, linear programming is still where the money is at right now. Yes, there are millions of people who have cut the cord, understand that. But the streaming platforms do not have yet technology is not yet there, the capability to reach 50 million people for an audience, for like a Super Bowl, you know, huge audience as, as an example. It's not there yet. So, and rural areas and part of, it's one little thing that members of the Pac-12 media are touting more and more of the last couple of weeks as a difference between the Pac-12 and the Big 12. Pac-12 has... Uh, more members in larger cities than the Big 12. Big 12 membership is in rural towns. You know, you think of where West Virginia is located. So for rural fans, they don't really have as much access to ESPN Plus or to to Amazon. I I know I remember seeing from some Big 12 fans, specifically West Virginia, and I want to say uh, Kansas State, maybe in Manhattan, Kansas, and KU in Lawrence, Kansas, some of them can't get ESPN Plus. So they can't get 
Big Sur now on ESPN Plus. So you still have probably, you know, millions of fans like that in your conference. Well, to reach those fans, keep them connected to the conference, you still need to have a linear outlet for them. And right mm-hmm. now that's Fox and ESPN. Hopefully, I'm putting it out there. CBS will get in the mix because that's that's a linear platform and they no longer have SEC, well, won't have SEC in the near future. So they're going to need a conference to fill those that slot, that programming. So hopefully Big 12 can be a part of CBS coverage going forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of along those lines and um, something I know you believe in and really you feel like it's going to be um, kind of going back to that survival of the fittest cliche. But when you look at the Pac-12, you look at the Big 12, I know you believe that only one of those two conferences are going to be left standing in terms of how we think of um, that at least has that power five moniker that it still has um, necessarily if they're divided from a group of five conference for lack of a better phrase um is that still the case and do you feel it might end up being a bidding war between uh, the big 12 and the pac 12 to get one of those traditional deals um with one of those local networks because just i believe it was last week the pac 12 announced uh that they had opened uh tv rights negotiations after the in the wake of ucla and usc moving i i, I do believe that it's going to be survival of the fittest assuming that the pac 12 and big 12 don't merge which I'm not a huge fan of unless that includes Oregon and Washington coming to the Big 12. The four corner schools, value-wise, they don't really increase the, the pie slices for the members, member schools in the Big 12. But saying all that, if ESPN wants to keep alive, keep the Pac-12 alive, they can because of the Pacific time zone. So they want to have football games and, you know, men's basketball games late at night for the Pacific time slot. And that's Pac-12. So in that scenario, ESPN could keep the Pac-12 alive. Other than that, one thing the people in media really are not mentioning enough of, and yes, Pac-12 has larger demographics, bigger cities, but most of those fans are not diehard football fans like Big 12 fans are. Big 12 fans are diehard college football fans. They're going to support their teams, maybe because they're, they're in a, you know, quote-unquote rural towns where college football is, is huge. And it's one thing, you know, we discussed for a long time that Houston is not a college football town. The city of Houston is not a college football town. So we're going to see how many fans, UH fans, watch, support the Cougs football program once it becomes a member of the Big 12. You know, that's buying tickets, going to the games, watching on TV, buying the merchandise, all that plays into making Houston relevant and a value for the Big 12. Just kind of a a question I'm curious about. Do you feel like that Big 12 uh, conference logo is enough to to draw in a casual fan, which it's kind of hard to say because you'd imagine, you know, for the most part, if you're a fan of a university, you need to have some tie toward it to it. I think the University of Houston's in an interesting spot where they're they're the city school. Um, And you've kind of seen that a little bit with the men's basketball team, where especially when come around March, uh, during their March Madness run, the city seems to rally around them. Could you see something similar for the university once they officially get joined the Big 12, or is it still wait and see? 
it's wait and see. Houston football is going to have to win nationally. They're going to have to win big games, beat Baylor year in, year out, beat, become a top team in the Big 12. Because the city of Houston is a fair weather, full of fair weather fans for the most part. is a much larger group of fans that are fair weather than diehard fans in almost any sport except the Texans. Texans fans <laughs> support the Texans way more and longer. There has been a, a down period for the Texans where the numbers have declined a little bit at home games. But even those numbers are still larger than what Cook fans get at, Cougs get at TD ECU Stadium. Mm-hmm. For sure. And on that note, the final thing I did want to touch on from the comments, like you said, of day one from Big 12 Media Day. Um, and this was Brett Yarmark talking about, obviously, the, the elephant in the room when it comes to the Big 12. And that's Texas and OU, who, as of now, they're still set to leave the conference and join the SEC uh, July 1st, 2025. Now, um, there's been a lot of speculation among us. I know Dan. Um, he himself doesn't believe that Texas and OU will still be in the conference once Houston joins in 2023. I'm a little bit optimistic. They think they'd be there at least uh, one year, um, which would be obviously 2023-24 year. Um, but he was asked about them and if they could potentially work a deal to leave the conference early. And Yarmark's response to that was that it's important for whatever happens, whatever agreement if they were to make one is in the best interest of the conference and this is a direct quote i look forward to the right time to have those conversations and quote um is there anything could you see texas and ou uh leaving by the time houston joins or do you think that they're stuck at the very least uh for the 23 24 uh school year athletic year the closer we get to i mean we're less less than a less than a months, year now less than a year out yeah. More and more, I believe the Longhorns will be in the conference in the Big 12 with Houston. I didn't, I didn't believe that last year. Last year, you, you know, told me, you asked me that question. I didn't think there was a, uh, an ounce of possibility that Texas would be in the same conference with Houston at all. Now that seems like, I think it's going to happen for at least one season. We'll see how, if, if it's two seasons, you know, one of the rumors bandied about this week was Longhorns would be, Longhorns and OU will be out of the Big 12 a year sooner because ESPN wants them to join the SEC one year earlier. There are so many rumors, as you, as you touched on. It. We can't even go into all the rumors that we've seen on Twitter the last few days about all that. But I believe at least for one season, OU and UT will be in the Big 12 with Houston. And that'll be a lot of fun. And I sure hope the Big 12 schedule makers bring the Longhorns to Houston for TDECU Stadium football. Uh, no, you said TDECU Stadium, not NRG. Not stadium. NRG, yes. That's intentional. Mm-hmm. TDECU <laughs> Stadium for Cougs matchup against the Longhorns. Yes. And we'll leave it right there. Coming right up on Pod Slam and Jamma, we'll transition over to the basketball court as uh, a little bit of interesting dialogue from Jarris Walker. He says he's modeled his game. He models his game after Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and LeBron James. And he talked a little bit about his expectations and what he's looking to improve his game in um, coming into his first season with the Houston Cougars. Uh, the five-star recruit has certainly garnered a lot of interest from uh, U of H fans as he's the, he, correct me if I'm wrong, he's the first five-star recruit since Daniel House back in 2012. Yep. Correct. So obviously a lot of buzz on that. Um, you're listening to Pod Slam Jamma presented by Clutch City Control. Don't go anywhere.
And we are back here on Pod Flamajama presented by Clutch City Control Room. Um, we're going to talk, like I said, Jarvis Walker, who uh, from our colleague Chris Baldwin of Paper City Magazine, he had an article come out on July as well, July 13th that we we're recording this, um, where he, is, I'm guessing he had a one-on-one with Jarvis Walker. He, he was able to sit down and, and speak with Walker. And one of the stuff that he um was quoted on uh he talked about who he models his game after and like i mentioned at the top of the segue he says that he looks up to jason tatum jalen brown lebron james in terms of who he's trying to play like but really the quote from the article that really stood out to me was um he was asked about what he's looking to improve this upcoming season this is a direct quote i'm gonna read and i quote from walker i feel like i can always work on pretty much everything Ball handling, shooting, I'll definitely, or my mistake, but handling, shooting, I'll definitely become a better defender this year under system. Really all around, I feel like I have a lot to improve on my game, end quote. And Chris, like I said, before we came, or before we went to the break, this is going to be the highest rated recruit that U of H has had since 2012 uh, with Daniel House. A lot of expectations on Jarvis Walker. Uh, when you hear that in that article, Kellen Sampson is also quoted, and he talked about how it's real crucial when you get a player of that stature to treat him like everyone else. Don't, don't put any unnecessary expectations to him. And really, um, that's where, you know, this, Chris, one of the biggest things uh, with the University of Houston men's basketball program, what's the word? Culture, 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 culture. Yep. Um, that's going to be one thing that they're really going to be relying on in terms of getting the upperclassmen, the, pe- the players that have already been there, um, they part of the Elite Eight run, they were part of the Final Four run, and kind of push Walker to um, force them to have to kind of grow by being thrown into the fire. Um, Chris, I know you've heard talks where um, people from the team have told you that Jarvis Walker is as good as advertised. Uh, what are your, not necessarily expectations for him going forward, but when you hear that, um, what what's kind of the approach that the Houston fans can expect from um, Walker because they have a lot of expectations on him uh, once they tip off this fall. I'm, I'm curious. We were asked this on, on our show to project, predict the uh, starting five for the Cougs. And you and I, we had Jairus at the starting four spot at the power forward spot. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if coach Sampson and the staff, well, I guess big for college front lines, would have a potential starting front court of Jairus, Jawan, and Reggie Cheney and put Jairus at the three, some, you know, to start in this. I say that because of the guys Jairus mentions NBA players that he patterns his game after LeBron, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. And one reason he says that is because they play, both into the floor, offense and defense. And anybody who follows UH basketball, men's basketball, knows if you don't play defense, you don't play. Mm-hmm. So Jarris Walker <laughs> want to be a better defensive player. That's great to hear. But college-wise and seeing his game in high school, on the high school level and grassroots, he played more of the power forward spot at the four spot. So he might do that in college. And we'll talk about it, I'm sure, in a few minutes. I'm not sure what his best position will be in the NBA. I'm not sure if he's more of a three, a small forward, or more of a, or better suited for the power forward spot because he's, you know, I'm not sure if he's gotten taller. He's listed as six, seven. He's not, I don't believe he's six, eight or six, nine yet. You know, we'll see. We'll get to see him in person and 
look at the roster and all those things. But if he's not six eight, you know, I could see him playing some small forward for the for for Houston. And boy, the versatility with him, Jawan and Richie Cheney, man, you cause a lot of matchup problems. But then you'd have they got so many wing players and they're so versatile with this roster. Where would that put Jamon Mark and Ramon Walker mm-hmm. and Terrence Arsenault for the wings? Because you got Jamal Shedd, Emmanuel Sharp, Marcus Sasser, J.V. Francis. <laughs> you know, I mean, the versatility goes on and on. So I'm kind of curious to see what what position Jairus will play, whether it be the three or the four. If it's the four, I think he, he's good enough. His handle is good enough that he can give matchup problems to most college power forwards. And for the Cougs fans in the coaching staff perspective, his college game is what matters when he's a Coug. We can worry mm-hmm. about his NBA projections when he gets to the NBA. For sure. And uh, for what it's worth on the official UH Cougars athletic website, they have him listed at 6'8". So he might have grown an inch from um, the time he graduated high school. Uh, I'm not sure how official those those uh measurements are but for what it's worth he's 6-8 on the official UH website I think one thing and uh, that you brought up I think that would be a really interesting starting lineup if um I'm assuming that you have him at the three correct if he's playing with um Jawan Roberts and Reggie yeah. Chaney both playing the four and five so yes hmm. so he, in that sense though it would make them much more well potentially much more uh low post or inside the three-point line offense because you really don't have Marcus Sasser as your true three-point threat. Jamal Shedd, is, is his, he's developing that. Jarris Walker, we don't know how good a three-point shooter he's going to be in college yet. Jawan Roberts is still developing a face-up game to 12 to 15 feet. Richie Cheney's range is five feet in. So if Jarris – if Coach Sampson went jumbo, which I don't think he will, but I just, you know, thinking about it off the top of my head, you know, right now talking to you, could, is that a possibility for certain matchups? Or if it, if it does happen, could it be an indication that Jairus Walker has really developed a three-point shot already? Yeah, for sure. And when I think of that lineup, the really the thing that stands out to me is how good that lineup would be defensively when you're talking about in the backcourt with Jamal Shedd and Marcus Sasser. Uh, Marcus Sasser has shown in the past really uh, how much he's been able to improve on the defensive end. I think that's one of the stuff that he got feedback from uh, when it comes to NBA personnel that uh, <clears throat> obviously he kept his name in, in the NBA draft for seemed like until the final hour, Chris, um, whenever he was able to pull it out. But that was one of the stuff that he said um, was the feedback that he got back, just being able to show his versatility. And one of the other stuff that um, I'm sure he's going to be looking to improve on just to have on film. Um, and then when you think of the front court, I mean, we know what Jawan Roberts can do on the defensive end. Um, really, 
not just on the defensive end, just in terms of rebounding. We've seen him um, had stretches. Now I think that's going to be the big step for him this coming season. It's going to be consistency because we saw him the past season where he would have stretches where he would just go on rebounding terror and be challenging yep. shots. And honestly, he would look impressive. He would look like he should be, you know, an everyday starter. And then he would also have games where um, on sometimes you wouldn't be able, it would be hard to notice him on court just because of the inconsistencies. His highs were really high. Sometimes his low were really low. As for Reggie Chaney, obviously he was a key part. He was in the starting lineup for the Final Four team uh, just two seasons ago. Obviously last year he dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, Kelvin Sampson has talked about even coming into this season. It looks like um, he's been clear to play. I remember the, the men's basketball team, they're always posting uh, videos of their off-season practices and workouts, and uh, I believe one they posted probably about a week ago. Uh, Reggie Cheney was um, involved in those workouts and those practices, so I'd imagine he's been cleared, so hopefully he can stay healthy, but I think that would be a really, really defensive-minded group that would be for opponents. It would be really hard to score on them, but I think you hit it on the point. Uh, if that as a lineup like that were to work, it would have to depend on Jarvis Walker and how comfortable he is being able to stretch the floor and, and being able to score three. I'm interested in going back to the players he mentioned he models this game after and Jalen Brown, uh, Jason Tatum, LeBron James. I know LeBron is a bit of a he's in his own category when it comes to the type of player he is. But when you think of those players, especially uh, Tatum and Brown, you don't necessarily think of them as, you know, in the paint forwards you right. think of them as you know they can take people off the dribble they can create their own shot um and chris i'm sure you've seen walker much more in his high school days i did see him a little bit in the mcdonald's all-american game i think what stood out to me in that game was just his natural athleticism and instincts i mean he was flying all over the court and when you think of the mcdonald's all-american game obviously the group of talent that's there he was able to differentiate himself among them which i think um that right there is something of note in terms of a positive direction, but I think it wouldn't really be a problem for him when it comes to athleticism. I think that's going to be natural for him. I think that's certainly going to be the big question mark, how good of a shooter he is, or is he just flat out that good of a score, a shot creator for himself that he can, that Houston can get away with that would say you. That's what we'll have to see. He's, he's a very good passer. Um, I think it was at Montverde Academy where he was at or IMG, IMG, I get it confused. I am, he was at IMG, IMG. and, and J, yeah. JVA was at Montverde Academy. Um, I just wonder, because typically the previous Cougar teams, Houston really started three guards, basically. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So going back to last season's Elite yeah. Eight run, you had was, Ramon Walker starting at three. Yeah, you know, Ramon Walker, and then you'd have Fabian and Josh Carlson up front at the four and the five spot. So I'm not expecting – Jairus and Juwan and ready to start together, all three of them. But if it happens at some point, I think that would indicate that Jairus Walker is ready to be a reliable outside threat and he can create a shot. Or, I mean, you know, if Juwan Roberts became a better perimeter threat, his, his game is more around the basket, attacking the basket and crashing the offensive boards. So we talked about it before with Coach Sampson start Ramon Walker at the wing with Marcus and Jamal and keep Jamal and bring Jamal off the bench so Jamal could handle the ball and run the offense to spell Jamal or Marcus like that. So the versatility is, is there. And, you know, how much will Emmanuel Sharp play? How much will Terrence Arsenal play? Um, 
because we can talk about his NBA potential. Terrence mm-hmm. Arsenal is a uh, he's probably NBA wise going to be a two three. High school he was a three four and probably even some small lines played some five as well, but he's so versatile defensively. He can block shots. He can get steals. You know, rebounding is there. But that was high school. You know, Coach Sampson has told us and media and fans, high school is not college. There's a difference between high school and college. You know, Jairus is a five-star. Terrence is a four-star. And toward the end of his senior year, he was was getting some talk as being a five-star. So we're talking about two very talented players whose games are a little bit different. Body types, different. I think Terrence Arsenal, I think I saw him a few weeks ago. He said he weighed 185, I think. Well, Jairus weighs like 220 already. So mm-hmm. I think Terrence, come October, might get up to 195, 200, you know, working with strength coach Alan Bishop. Coach Bishop worked his magic. So if that happens, then, you know, if Terrence has gotten stronger, we'll see where Terrence plays. So right now, experience-wise, I think we'll stick with it. With Marcus Sasser and Jamal Shedd in the backcourt, Ramon Walker at the wing spot with Jairus and Richie Cheney at the four and the five spot. That's still pretty pretty solid. Yeah, that's a pretty solid lineup. And it'd be interesting if, if they do go that route, Ramon Walker uh, back in the starting lineup. Um, in terms of, I'm curious what Tremont Mark's role would kind of be um, coming off the bench because, like you mentioned, they have so much depth at that guard position. And Kelvin Sampson, I, I can't remember when uh, when exactly said this. If it was uh, middle of June or early June, um, but he talked about kind of the next step for Tremont Mark is going to be um, being able to go into the game and just be a natural playmaker, make the correct plays. He called them, this is a quote that, that stuck with me, he called them a score first and a score second, and then trying to get, obviously, his teammates involved. Um, I think for him, what they're trying to get, and well, first, the most important thing is going to be if, if that shoulder injury behind him. Chris, right. we mentioned it um, you know, early in the season last year, even before that, whenever um, we were able to see his, his jumper just didn't look right for the entire season that he did play and, and even going that before that in the off season. Um, it'd be curious to see if, if it, it looks back to what it did uh, back in 2021, obviously that's going to be the most important thing, but I think for him to, to be that next step and um, to, it's kind of hard to say it this way because of how long he's been with the program, the potential he's shown, but to, to even potentially get a lot of minutes for this team, he's going to have to be a lot more of a playmaker, not just necessarily only a scorer. When you think of a lot of the guards that are on the team would say you. And see that, that is, I agree, but with Jamal shed playing so well, what if, you know, and of course we still need to know if Malik Wilson gets his waiver, mm-hmm. what if coach Sampson and the staff, Determine well. What if Tremont shows he's just not ready yet to be a playmaker? And early in the season, for sure, he may develop it as the season progresses, especially come conference play. But early in the season, he's just not there. And the coaching staff decides to have Jamal Shed and Tremont Mark on the floor together. And in that situation, Tremont, your job is to score. Your job is just, you know, come off the bench, break down the defense get to the foul line, and score. Maybe that's the role that he's comfortable with right now, and then he becomes better. 
as a playmaker because if he can become a playmaker and play with Marcus Sasser and then both of them can be interchangeable with the ball in their hands, they can both beat their man off the dribble, individually break down defenses, but also be good playmakers. That's just another addition and strength to the team that we could be the coups to be um, displaying this season. Time will tell. For sure. And and as we are discussing this, this is barely July. We still have uh, three, three months until they can get their official, um, you know, their official practice start. And I believe last year they did it on October 1st, exactly when it was the first official practice. And then obviously, of course, that's the, non-conference schedule you know gets released at this university of houston still hasn't officially released their non-conference schedule but um i believe they have the first game samson told us so it's november 7th um so the the start of the season is within the horizon and obviously of course as football season comes then comes basketball season so uh we'll put a pin on that one thing i did want to mention and um chris you kind of set it up perfectly for a segue but i kind of diverged a little bit but you mentioned in terms of terrence terrence arsenal and really the the potential that he showed towards the end of his high school season um some people were beginning to look at him as a potential five-star recruit um, and this was an interesting when it comes to way too early 2023 NBA draft. Um, I don't know. Could you call them a mock draft? Maybe rankings um, per se, but this was from the athletic. I'll go ahead, Chris. Mm-hmm. Were, I mean, Sam Bassini, he, he did. It was a mock draft. I mean, it was way too early. He did more detail for the top, his top 10 in his way too early look, but he did it for, I think, 59 picks. So all picks in the, in the two round draft for next year because I think the Bulls won't have us pick in the second round. So it won't be 60 picks, it'll be 59. But yeah, early look at the 2023 NBA draft. Once again, that was from the athletic Sam Bassani. And, and really what stood out to me first, well, first of all, I'm going a, I'm to a tell you what stood out to me, but even then it just came into my head how uh, how different this program is from where it was just a, yes. a few seasons ago. Because, and you know exactly what I'm about to say. But in his rankings, he had three University of Houston uh, players, um, and to no surprise, once I say the names, you, you'll know that who they are. It's going to be Terrence Arsenault, Marcus Sasser, and Jarvis Walker. Now, the surprising thing about this is he had Terrence Arsenault as the highest of the three Cougars, and that was at 26th, which would make him a first-round pick. He had Marcus Sasser second at 27th, and he had Jarvis Walker third of the Cougars going number 33 overall, which would put him in the second round. Um, so before we get into any of that, let's just, they have three UH players in the mock draft, which is a huge sign of where the program is now, just to where it was. When you think back to when Calvin Sampson first joined, when you think back just in general, jeez, uh, uh, Quentin Grimes went 25th. Um, back in the 2021 draft. And obviously that was a big eye for the program. Now they have three players um, that could potentially be selected, at least in this way too early uh, prediction. So that's just a sign of that. But two, I think the biggest thing there is Jarvis Walker, 33rd, which would put him in the second round. If that happens, Chris, my first reactions to that was, uh, that means that he didn't have the season that he was expecting to have. What say you? Uh, I have not. Heard from Sam Bassini about about YS Jarris ranked 33rd. That'd be the lowest of the early looks that I've seen. Most of the others that I've seen, all the others <laughs> that I've seen for Jarris, 
are between 13 and 19. So that's first round picks into the lottery, mid first round pick. So I'm not sure why he has Jairus as a high early second round pick. It could be the he may have similar questions of what position he's going to be better at. You know, that, that tweener kind of position. Um, we'll see. But Jairus Walker, I'm kind of curious what would happen if a consensus were to develop from NBA personnel saying to Jairus and his people, young man, you're just not a first-round pick anymore. Or I don't care what the mock drafts say, we don't believe you're a first-round pick. If that would get him to come back for a second season at Houston, because, heck, a month ago, May and June, Folks I talked to believe he was a one and done. You know, Jairus Walker is a one and done. So I was surprised to see Sam Bassini at the athletic have Jairus at 33rd in his early look. I was not surprised he had Terrence Arsenal included in his early look mock draft because Terrence Arsenal is that good. His skill set potential is that good. He's got to put it all together. I'm not sure it really doesn't matter NBA-wise because NBA does draft guys based on potential. Terrence Arsenal may not play a lot <laughs> for Houston this year, especially early. Now, if he does, most likely that, that means he's excelling in practice. He's doing everything that Coach Sampson wants. So that'd be great. Or, of course, knock on wood, he could be getting more minutes because somebody's hurt. So we're thinking positively, he's if he gets more minutes early because he's shown that he's worthy of that time so three coups two coups in the first round another coup hot early in the second round damian dodson for a while was the only coup to get drafted he was in the 40s was it 46 something like that 44 46 yeah i believe so and then quinn grimes got drafted at 25 years ago between but between damian dodson and quinn grimes nate hinton did not get drafted Armani Brooks did not get drafted. Corey Davis did not get drafted. Galen Robinson did not get drafted. You know, all four of those young men had huge impacts at Houston men's basketball, but they did not get drafted. So to now jump forward into a 2023 early look, ESPN even has, ESPN has Jared Walker and Marcus Sasser as in the first round. So whoever it is, Marcus Sasser is one of them whether it's Terrence Arsenal or Jess Walker, two Cougs projected to go in the first round of most mock drafts. The program has come a long way in a short amount of time. And one question before we kind of wrap things up and about Marcus Astor specifically, uh, do you believe that obviously that's why he's coming back? He was able to get all the feedback. Um, I know he said, obviously, the ultimate goal for, for the program as a whole, uh, they probably won't say it, but it's going to be obviously the, the the big elephant in the room. I've said that a lot in this show, but um, it's got to be the case. That's got to be one of their goals with where the Final Four is going to be uh, this upcoming March. It's going to be in Houston. It's going to be the National Championship at NRG Stadium opportunity to do um, that would be a good research. When was the last time any school won a national championship in their own home city? Um, that's going to be one heck of an opportunity. But do you believe, put that aside, that, that Marcus Astor can come back this season and play his way not only um, 
into the first round, but maybe potentially be higher than Quentin Grimes was, who he went at 25. Do you think what what's kind of how high can Marcus Sasser jump into um, this upcoming season? Probably late teens, early 20s, like 2021, probably. And nothing wrong with that. I mean, that'd be a great year. I'm not sure the last team, to get back to your question, that the last team to win in its own city, I'm thinking it's probably UCLA, uh, go back to the 70s. I know Butler was the last team to play in the Final Four in its city, and it was in Indianapolis. So that was 20, whenever it was, so probably 2015, 2017, because Butler was 2016, 2011. It's all running together now, but Butler, they played Duke, and Butler made back-to-back um, Final Fours. One was here in Houston. The other one was in India, I think, something like that. So Butler was the last team to play in the city of the school. But Marcus Sasser has the skill set to be not a – I don't believe he has a chance to be as high as a lottery pick. But late teens, 2021, that range. Now, if he has a sensational NCAA tournament run, that would help. But, you know, I mean, Luca Garza – Oscar Shibwe, last two, of course, they're big men, but the last two national players of the year in college didn't get drafted. You know, I mean, I think Luca, Luca, Luca Garza went late second round to Detroit. Shibwe came back to school because he wasn't going to get drafted, you know. Uh, so big men is different. Yes, Marcus is a guard. But Andy, again, just how far the Houston men's basketball program has come to now we're talking about guys being expected and projected to go in the first round in July because Quentin Grimes, he was a five-star coming out of high school, but he was not projected to be a first round pick at the start of his second year at Houston. Oh, Yeah. I mean, even going into uh, that draft, there were a lot of mock drafts that had him going, early in the second round, and then Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks uh, were really the team that Calvin Sampson said kind of essentially fell in love with Quentin Grimes. And uh, what, what was the reason that Calvin Sampson said that Tom Thibodeau really liked Quentin Grimes? What was that, what was that one thing he could do um, that, that really stood out to him? Rebound and defend. Exactly. It, it wasn't score. It was rebound and defend. So, And that's right. And, and Quentin, toward the end of his rookie year, showed more – of his offense, he got more comfortable with offense, but defense is that constant. And I'll get back to Jarris Walker real quick and about the article in Paper City Mag. I didn't see it. I don't recall seeing a quote. I don't recall seeing the word culture in the article. Jarris mentioned system, but he didn't say culture. So I'm kind of I'm wondering if if uh, Chris Baldwin uh-huh. didn't include that <laughs> as a quote, didn't want to use it. Maybe save for another story, but I was like, didn't use the word culture in this. Culture is not included in the article. I just double checked and oh man, that that means Jarris Walker's behind. If if it's not included, or maybe you said maybe Chris Baldwin's uh, holding it for another story, but 
uh, man, by the time by the time fall rolls around, I'd be surprised if he's not like everyone else talking about all oh, the culture here is strong, the culture here is different. Uh, that that's an interesting thing to note. Uh, and that's gonna do it for today's episode. So if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the Club City Control Room YouTube account and please give this video a like. It helps us out. Obviously, of course, follow us on Twitter at PodSlamajama, wherever you're listening to your podcast, whether it's Apple, uh, Spotify, or anywhere else. Thank you again, Chris Gardner, for uh, hopping on the restream link a couple of, uh, I guess, an hour's ahead of notice. I appreciate your time. Use your time, sir. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Glad to do it, man. I always enjoy talking Cougs, Cougs basketball, specifically Cougs athletics. You know, you do that as well. Part of our shows on the Houston Round Bar Review. You can find me, HoustonRoundBarReview.com, Houston Round Bar Review on YouTube. Houston Round Bar Review on Instagram, Twitter, a little bit different, T-H-E-H-R Review. But I'm looking forward to a UH Athletics season coming up. Football should be good. We can talk about Clayton Toon on our show, Folks Talking Sports, about yeah. his, his high rankings for the NFL looks. So that's great to see. More promotion for Clayton, more promotion for the football program for Houston. That's good to see. Um, but the start of football season – means basketball season is not far behind. So I'm looking very <laughs> forward to that. And good to see Commissioner Brett Yormark, Big 12, have his intro press conference today. That was at Football Media Day. I look forward to meeting him uh, in October at uh, the Big 12 yeah. Basketball Media Day. Now, Chris, one side note, you said meeting him. Are you talking about meeting him in a Zoom uh, conference or what are you talking about? Oh, no. Well, I mean, hopefully uh, that'd be great. But just like I get a chance to ask a question. Because my goal is to have my hand up, have the big on the microphone, and ask a question to the commissioner, yes, in October. Home to that. Well, Chris, that's going to do it for today's show. So thank you again for taking the time out of uh, your evening to join us and, and, like you said, speak on UH Athletics. Thank you to everyone that took time to watch and or listen to this podcast. We'll see you next time.